I'm Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Real, honest, and meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Mary Leigh Cherry is the director of the newly opened Tanya Badakdar Gallery in Los Angeles. Her long career as a gallerist, curator, and collector has made her a prolific figure in the art world on both coasts. And our conversation made for an episode that will be highly valued to anyone involved or interested in the art world. Hello. Hi. So we're going to talk about the art world because it's one of my favorite topics and you have been entrenched in it for so many years. Mm -hmm. So where did you grow up there originally? I'm originally from Durham, North Carolina. Really? Yes. Which is actually a blooming art world. It kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. Sort it of. Is. Yeah. yeah. Probably it, maybe it was not, not when, you were when there. I was yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so yeah. did you stay there to go to college and continue it onward? I did. I went to well, I didn't go to Duke. I could have, too close to home. But I went to Wake Forest University okay. in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And that is where I got into the contemporary art world, surprisingly. And do your parent were your parents art? Like what was the thing of I think art is such a unique yeah. vertical there has to be some aha yeah. moment that you sort of like plunge into that well I was always interested in science and I even took pre-med chemistry my senior year of Wake Forest wow because it has Bowman Gray Medical School so uh great science medical track classes but I also took a oil painting course and that was my hardest course <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not the chemistry you know I remember my freshman so. year when people were trying to figure out someone said Oh, don't take art history as the hardest class there is. Yeah, yeah. Art history, oil painting, and history of jazz. Three hardest courses in undergrad for and, me. And, and what made you do that? <laughs> Just because you wanted to explore um, your mind? I think that I realized that I was a visual person, but also ultimately I wanted to merge the two and I wanted to be a conservator. Okay. And so I was, tr I was sort of tracking and sort of renaissance art history courses wake forest has a house in venice italy i knew about that and went there as early as possible so that was my early plan and, and sparked your curiosity and yeah but what happened is wake forest has a um a student union art collection and they since this i think it started in the 60s that's super cool it, it's amazing is it, it online it is now it was secret <laughs> because it was in the student union or it right. is in the student union and it is a very impressive contemporary art collection the program is that every 4 years students who get selected and take a certain course get to go to new york and spend it started out mostly about $25,000 but in i think I'm going to say my age. We're, we're open and <laughs> proud women. Um, so in 97, we spent $50,000 in New York on contemporary art that's, as undergrads. That's incredible. It's amazing. So you were part of this this annual group of people that right. got to go and essentially is like you were sitting on a museum. You got to exactly. collect for the school. So we wrote, so you take a course, half the class goes to New York half doesn't have you kind of are selected and all of that but so it's competitive but at that time in the 90s you were writing to galleries writing letters we had email sort of but you were they were sending you back slides and and uh and transparencies yes, yes, yes. That then you returned right right i mean those i remember the those offers. days 
That is hilarious. I mean, I remember the days like you would say, I'm really interested in this. And they would pull like a photograph. Yeah. You know, and now they actually do JPEGs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it's so easy now. It's, yeah. Um, it's Yeah. I mean, it was wild. a completely different world. It took yeah. our world a, a while to get up to speed. Yeah. So that's an incredible yeah. experience. So that's what, and I worked, I practically lived in the gallery, art gallery there. There was a small gallery and the professor, my professors were amazing. So I give them all the credit and they gave me so much room. And the pieces that you bought, mm-hmm. how have they done? We got a um, Kiki Smith sculpture. Wow. We got a, um, I want to say, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on the name. We got something. We had a little more money that year, if I remember correctly, because we were to buy an outdoor sculpture. And I think we got something from Matthew Marks. So what you do is you do your research, you write to all these galleries. As a group, you come up with a kind of a short list. And then you go to New York and you have all these meetings. And you're shown work in person. That is you're incredible. taken to the back rooms. I had, I mind you, I had never done this ever, as in my life. My parents were not collectors. We had, um, we have decorative decorative art in the house, right? It matched the yeah yeah yeah, the yeah decor. Yeah. So totally. it wasn't an art collection. That I think that's a- kind of part of it too. That's so. an amazing experience. And so yeah. when you graduated, you were obviously like, I'm sticking to this art situation. Yes. And then I went and worked for Wake Forest in Venice, Italy at the house. How? It's called Casa Artem. It happens to be next to the Peggy Guggenheim Museum. Which is an incredible On the Grand Canal. <laughs> so, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, that Peggy Guggenheim Museum is yeah. just I mean, if you go to Venice, you have to go to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's the most incredible thing of, of going to yeah. Venice. And how long did you stay there? So after graduation, I knew I, my contract was for a semester. So it was about four months, I think. And then I tried to stay on. And I like to tell people I was an Ill- technically after when my contract ended, I was an illegal immigrant mm-hmm. in Italy. Yeah. I had no work visa and I was getting paid under the table. And it got a little scary because I was not making enough money. I was getting kind of sent further out of Venice to teach English as a second language. And so I decided to come back Yeah, to the States. It was time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this, I'm, this is not me. Right. And I'm not comfortable with this. So um, I landed in Venice Beach to house sit right near here. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yes. When on, on, yeah. <laughs> and I just decided to, I loved this place. But in the 90s, and that's the late 90s, so in the, that's when the art world in California was in San Francisco still. Which is amazing to me because yeah. there does not seem like much of one at all. No. Great museums. Yes. And even though everyone told me you're supposed to go, if you're not in New York, you're supposed to be in San Francisco. Uh, but you did the opposite. I, I just stayed here. And so then, you know, and my first job here was at the Santa Monica Museum of Art when it was at Bergamot Station under the founding director Tom Rhodes. Wow. Yeah. And and that, they're going to change that Bergamot Station. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, they should. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Bergamot Station is now this, yeah. you know, eclectic group yeah. of galleries that really don't belong together. It's just that they decided to rent the yeah. spaces. And so there's no consistency. There's like schlock yeah. and there's good and then there's random. And, and, there, and there's still rental spaces. Yeah. So yeah. that's I just, kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. I mean, I just feel that with the, the subway, the, mm-hmm. the opportunity to create something really unique as yeah. a destination location 
um, should happen there. Yeah. Yeah. And it is too bad that the museum moved, but I'm happy for them for their, the location, the building that they got, but there's nothing, um, really west of the hammer. No, there isn't. There's the the Getty Villa, but but that doesn't count for contemporary art. The hammer is such a little gem. Yeah. I love the hammer. Yeah. So how long did you stay at the museum? So I was there for about two years and really it was a very small staff. It was an extreme, extremely valuable crash course in working at a museum. Mm -hmm. And because it, I started at the front desk created a volunteer core that was decimated by the prior person because mm-hmm. I was like, I want to do more. So I need people to do the Before things I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I built that team back up. And uh, luckily there were just so many people that loved the museum and they had had a great volunteer core. So um, I did that. Then I worked in membership and thus development. And then I became the board liaison because they did not have a board member as their real secretary. So they had a staff member come. That was fascinating. And then towards the end, it was um, quite an interesting transition from the the founding director. Uh, what, he was basically ousted. It's it's in the LA Times. I'm you sure. Read about it. <laughs> so, but it was a really interesting time to be... Um, uh, working kind in of that museum, working and seeing a board interacting, fighting. These were adults talking about other people. It was a great learning. I'm for, sure. For me. I'm sure. So, and then when did you make the leap into saying, and then, you know what? I'm going to do yeah. my own thing. Well, during that time, I was I opened a garage space in in Venice, just east of Venice Boulevard. And that was just my weekends, and that so it was really just fell in for love fun. With the arts. Yeah, and so you were connecting with young artists. That you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to represent you, or I'm going to put you in a show. Yeah, it was more like show to show, project okay. to project, and it was uh, just literally a garage space with a barn door that slid open and had a little carport tent out from it. But because there were not so many things going on. I could do that and I could have reviews written. Right. It was a different time. It was a different time. And then you got to know all the artists Mm -hmm. that were at that point um, practicing their art. And uh, And a lot of the artists were people that worked at Bergamot Station, some of them that I had met Mm -hmm. uh, uh, doing preparatory work or at different galleries or even at the museum. And so that was the beginning. So that was sort of the beginning. It was called Cherry. And that was from 99 to 2001. And then I met my now husband, Tony De Los Reyes. <laughs> and he had a studio space on Venice Boulevard. And he wanted to get back into the art world and open it up to a more kind of public venue and, and have shows there by other artists. So we that's how we how you, how you started as, as friends and did some joint shows early on. But then we decided to open a space together. And that was, it was actually, uh, we opened the week, it must have been the weekend after 9-11, 2001. Oh, wow. Wow. And it was... A freaky time. It was weird. What, do we open? Do we not? And even the artist, it was Nicole Hebron, and 
she, I think, had a relative who uh, nearly missed one of the flights. You know, everyone, everyone in the everyone country was affected, story. right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it, particularly everyone. people on the, coast. on the coasts, right? Yes. So, because definitely because of the flights, and then also in in Virginia. But anyway, we went ahead with it, and the turnout was massive. It felt like people at that point were needed, ready to be together. Yes, yeah. They need to connect with people. And and totally. what better way than than through art and and supporting a really beloved artist? And so it it was great. We were really happy we did that. So that's when we opened. I'll never forget it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we ran Cherry de los Reyes for four and a half years. That's together. incredible. Yeah. Wow. But then you yeah. brought on another partner. So in I think it, the end of two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Um, so meanwhile, I had also, uh, stopped working at the museum, but then went to direct a foundation that supports California artists, exhibitions and artists mm-hmm. called the Fellows of Contemporary Art. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know. It's, it started in 1974. Amazing. It, it has a great story. It came out of the, uh, Pasadena Art Museum. Mm-hmm. It was an acquisition group. And when Norton Simon took over that museum, he kicked out all the, volunteer groups the support groups right and And he opened his private museum that's really cool and this group of people mostly in san marino pasadena area incorporated themselves into their own foundation organization that's amazing yeah so it was a really great organization to work for i learned a lot about california history since the 70s their first show was with ed moses wow that they supported interesting and via selman there was a show via selman's it's a great history. And you've had a great history in the art world. I mean, that's an incredible story. And it was at a different time. Different time. And so at yeah. one point, you and your husband decided you should just be my husband. You shouldn't be my partner or yes. vice versa. Yes. And <laughs> he also needed to focus on his own work art practice. Right. And the gallery was really getting uh, kind of too much. For him. And for, for us to do them, basically I had three business cards at right. a certain point. It was, it was, it was too crazy. much. Yeah. And he had two jobs and then the gallery. So his, he also teaches. So something had to give. Something. So I like telling this part of the story and I know he's heard it. So even though this will be public, but <laughs> Jeff Poe one day told me uh, from Blum and Poe, one of the founders of Blum and Poe told me, you know what you should do? You should do multiples. Because he would come to the gallery. You should sell multiples. And I was I was kind of like, I'm not going to do that. That seems like, what do you mean? I'm not supposed to just go for it? And it really kind of kicked me to to take it to the next level. Interesting. Yeah. And they, Blum and Paul, I mean, if you think about the L.A. landscape, in many ways, they were like the first big footstep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, they were one of the first galleries I would go to all the time right. so when they like, were in Santa Monica. So you're like, screw you, I can be in our I can have an art Bas- gallery too. Basically. <laughs> basically. And the great part of the story is that they have both been um both Tim and Jeff have been uh great mentors to me. I'm sure they have been. Yeah. But you know wonderful different times, different things. Yeah. And so you went yeah. forward and you you, yeah. you brought on a, a, a partner because mm-hmm. you felt like listen I can't do this all by myself. You yeah you know after having multiple jobs and then yeah. your husband and understanding what was what it took. Yeah. And, you know, you ran this art gallery for how long? That that one, Cherry and Martin, was 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. And um, you've had this long period of time in the art world. You know, what do you see in terms of technology or startups or yeah. art and collecting? And, you know, you've seen it where when you started, people went to the galleries. Yeah. 
And then it became, now people go to the shows. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're seeing a waning of those shows. It is almost overkill. But we're also seeing, on the other hand, that museums every year are posting more and better numbers ever than yeah. the year before. Yeah. And so there is something about getting off those phones and connecting and more transparency about the art world. So, mm -hmm. you know, where do you think mm -hmm. things are going? Because you've watched where they've all gone. Yeah. And I think that that's a place where you and I have connected over the technology aspect of this as well. And I think that's probably the, the, the thread to follow. The art world has been slow to adopt technology. Yes, they have. And they still are. Yeah. I mean, they're still writing on it, pieces to, of paper. To generalize. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then when they even do have a computer, they don't even know what they have in stock. Right. And I think that the biggest part that's missing is data analytics. Oh, there are not. There's no one's using that. No. Any kind of um, uh, very basic analytics or let, let alone moving into any kind of AI or machine learning yeah. or anything like that. Forget it. Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's, it's a $62 billion industry. It's pretty big. Right. It's astonishing. On the other hand, though, I do appreciate that it is still a relationship business. It is a relationship. I so, mean, I will go into a, a gallery or I'll meet someone randomly in their booth and mm -hmm. I'll be like, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. Here's my info. Mm -hmm. And I leave. And, and every time I do that, I think and, to myself, and I do make the purchase and mm -hmm. I do follow up and they mm -hmm. follow up with me, mm -hmm. that that still exists yeah. on a handshake. Yes. Yes. And there is something nice about that. Yes. I, I do think it, it does most aspects of it. Obviously, there are galleries that operate just like any kind of store. Mm -hmm. it's, re it's retail. Yes. There's so many different models for yes. it. But, and um, you do have to make money. And you have to sell and make money, of yes. course. But it is, it, it is still that very personal type of thing mm -hmm. where you really get to know people. If you're, if you're having that kind of relationship with someone, you, you do get to know a lot about them. Yeah. Particularly Their as family, a collector. As, yeah. A collector everything. to gallerist. Yes. You learn a lot. And if you stay with people, you, you live, you are friends, clients with them. You go through births, deaths, divorces, like you're a family member. Yeah, yeah. And because sometimes you have to handle pri very private information about I someone. I am sure. And the other so. thing is I find that when I like something at a gallery, I tend to like like a couple things that they, yeah. because it's what they have been drawn to mm -hmm. as the people that they want to represent. Exactly. I think it is a very, uh, the best galleries, it is a creative uh, process for and sure. a creative product for the for the director or dealer of the gallery. So how do you so. go about this is something I've always felt that there's like no transparency around. Mm -hmm. So I have um, um, Alex has a really, you know, one of her best friends in life is an incredible uh, artist and um, I emailed a gallery where I've done business all these, you know, yeah. for the years and I always felt that she would be good for them because uh -huh. she is a multi-layered artist. She's done movies, she's done installations, she's done watercolors. Uh -huh. And she said, wow, you know, it would really, that makes sense. I said, well, how do you, how do you go about this? And she said, you know, I don't really even have an answer for you. We talked to people for years and, you know, it's yeah. just these random things. I mean, how does that work? It, 
happens in so many different ways and I've had to try to, I've, I get asked that question every time I talk to a class, an, an artist that I'm sort of maybe connected to someone to help them to give advice. Right. Um, yeah. It is a mystery because it is so personal. Right. And it's, it has to be a really good connection. It does. And this, and I was just, um, I just met someone, a friend of a friend connected us. And the way I like to describe it is that it needs, it's a relationship and it's a partnership. And even if as a gallerist, you want to protect or filter the artist to be the artist in the studio, mm -hmm. the artist still has to realize that you're entering into a business relationship with that dealer. And the dealer has to trust the art. There's a lot of trust and it ultimately does have to be about business and, and protecting the, the creative vision or helping the creative vision to or ensure helping. that they grow as artists and mm -hmm. perhaps we're in the right collections and that you are Absolutely. finding things. And I mean, like we made a purchase and, um, a, a, you know, young artists we've loved to collect. And my daughter said, you know, you're not helping them, you're investing in them like a startup. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting way of looking mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, you bring on these artists and, you know, why, what is happening now, and this is, again, you have a much better insight than I do, but from what I see from the outside, like recently is there's a lot of black artists that are getting tremendous attention mm -hmm. that should have had attention for a long, long time. Yes. And I have noticed that they were carried in galleries that were, I want to say, emerging younger artists, you know, mm -hmm. that had not gone to the next stage. Come a year later, mm -hmm. they have been picked up in galleries when their art was really not priced that high. And they're now showing in galleries with insanely mature artists, you know, that are household names. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, what's going to happen to the young galleries and why they must mm -hmm. see something in this artist, you know, that, you know, they're not a mature artist, they're mm -hmm. a young artist still, mm -hmm. but they're pushing their prices up to a point where it would make me nervous. Yeah. Well, that, that is a complicated question. Mm -hmm. If I were kind of, kind of think of it as a question, because I don't know if you've read about the, discussions where some people had ideas about uh farm teams sports analogies to okay. the art world i love and, sports analogies okay <laughs> so it was and and not even just an analogy but a sports structure where you have farm teams that so the smaller galleries and then when the the players go on to bigger galleries there's some kind of kickback or something to the farm teams or some kind of support or even then it was there's been analogies somehow to the music world where there are residuals that come back to the gallery that supports the work early on. Interesting. So that they can and uh, move forward. Yeah, stay in business, get some of the um, due that for supporting an artist early on when their work wasn't worth much. Did you find that any of the younger artists that you had had, had supported? Well. Yes and no, but I also think it's a tricky thing where you really should be buying your artist's work too. For sure. Early on. Yes. So that that's really what, what the investment is later on if they do leave you. Now, granted, that's a finite uh, thing. 
either by piece or by amount of money. Mm-hmm. And so wouldn't it be nice if it was some kind of more ongoing system for the work being sold and you'd get a kickback. But I just don't think that's uh, very feasible. And that gets really messy because you're not dealing with, you're dealing with a lot of individual businesses and people. Yes. So I'm so, assuming your art collection is fabulous that over the years you've, you know, <laughs> you know, bought and kept yeah. pieces of, you know, artists yeah. that you just, you know, yeah. loved. Yes. But I've also sold work. Interesting. So I do, it took me a long time to sell work, but I do feel that I've under, I have a, a great understanding of where, uh, the collectors that I've worked with come from at different points in, in their lives and in their collecting. So you decided after all these years of being, mm-hmm. you know, an entrepreneur and having your own gallery that it was, you guys split ways for whatever yeah. reason and, um, and tried to figure out what comes next. Right. And I wasn't expecting what came next, but it's been wonderful. So I was, as you and I had talked about, I was thinking of another entrepreneurial project and trying to look at the times and read what would be kind of a, a value in the creative world, mainly the art world, but also the philanthropic world, mm-hmm. which I also am, uh, like to try to, I care about it immensely. So looking at those things, uh, did some work on that. Also tried to understand again, just gave myself some time to research the blockchain and effects that it may have on the art world. And that, cause I find that fascinating. Let's, it is. So, I think it's going to have a tremendous yeah. um, effect on the art world. Yeah. I and think it makes sense. You're talking yeah. about art pieces of art that has tremendous value. And then you find out they're not. Mm-hmm. And you know, how do we ensure that what you say it is is? Um, mm-hmm. Did you read recently about this university, or it was it was a, actually it was um, you know a K through twelve school? Oh no! So K through twelve school was given a couple pieces of art from a large donor. Oh. There were these Chinese art pieces, uh-huh. and they believed that this art was worth a, and I think they felt it was worth something valued at like. I don't know, it was like $4 million. Mm -hmm. And so they went out and they did what they needed to do for the school using that as collateral to take out this money. And they did all this stuff and then they went out and they got these pieces um, then appraised from whoever it was sought these crispies after all of this and they had already spent the money and they are going to sell these pieces of art. And it ends up it wasn't what they were said they were. They were copies of originals and they were worth jack. Oh no! And the school has literally gone on a spiraling debt. Oh, I will have to look that up. And you know, I read it and I thought, you know, that's really fascinating because I just had everything we own appraised, Mm -hmm. and I find the whole process very interesting. And what I thought would have been this is not, and what I thought Mm -hmm. maybe not is, in terms of you know where it goes up. Yeah. But for the blockchain, if I'm going to meet someone who has you know, a Gerhardt Richter who's looking in Hong Kong to sell it. I want to make sure it's a Gerhardt Richter. Yes. Yes. And it gets very complicated now because of the global economy. Completely. And because there are uh, collections all over the world now. And not that there haven't always been, but it's art is has just gone all over the place. Right. So And anybody really do, can be a collector. Yeah. So... 
you know, you did end up, you know, with Tanya. And that was an incredible, mm-hmm. like, hmm, this could be interesting. And you jumped. Yes, I did. I, uh, I told her that I was thinking of leaving my partner before many, I told many people. It was a big secret for a bit. And I knew that she was looking at LA to expand and she had been looking and I wanted to make myself available to her if she had any questions. And it just kind of slowly evolved into her offering me the director position for Los Angeles. And I jokingly tell people I've never worked for a gallery before. Right. (laughs) So I kind of just jumped into this position and it's really, it is fascinating. And I think it's good for me at this moment to uh, support another woman's vision. I like that. And, and also, that's how I look at it. You do have the um, flexibility and autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, being in LA and building yeah. her business here. Yeah. And I think it is interesting as well for me and a challenge to make sure that uh, a very um, uh, global and New York based gallery can also come here and contribute. But that was always Tanya's idea. She was really sensitive to hiring people in LA. Our gallery manager, Leah, has had lots of experience. She was at Mark Fox Gallery for years and then 356 Mission, Laura Owen Space. So Tanya was very smart and that's what I also was interested in. And she she represents really top-notch artists. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So it's probably interesting to you to meet a whole group of people that you're now working with uh, who are artists. Yes. Um, who are also collected by museums. Oh, yes. And have lots of museum shows. Yeah. yeah. Every, every week it feels like another show is announced. Well, it's and, great. So yeah. you continue to it's learn. It's great. Yes. Yes. That's and they are artists that I've followed their careers and have seen a lot of their major shows in museums through the last 20 years. Right. And, and that makes it easier to jump into that program. I don't know that I could say the same for other programs. It's right. just wonderful. So you know their I work, but you didn't follow. know them that well. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Which makes it nice. Yeah. And I, I love hearing from people how excited they are that Tanya is in Los Angeles, that she's brought her program here and what already in three shows, what she's contributed to the Los Angeles art world. Because she's really focusing on artists that haven't had uh, major gallery shows here. Well, that goes back to what you're saying. Yeah. Is people are going to start going back to the galleries. Yeah. 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 So it's been it's been really wonderful. Super cool. Yeah. Okay, so last yeah. question. <laughs> Where are all these art shows going to go? The, the art fairs? The art fairs. Oh, wow. What's the new paradigm for that? <sighs> you have to have a gallery to be in the art fair. Yes. Cost you a fortune to have an art gallery. Yes. And have a wonderful installation to represent the artists that you represent. Right. Then you have to go to these fairs, spend $85,000, if not more, a booth. Right. And they're getting boring, and the collectors are starting to stop going. Yeah. Well, I think... I think it's very tricky. I think that it has, everyone's always said it's sort of a necessary evil in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very safe for art. It's terrible for the planet. It's, you're, the lighting's terrible. Mm-hmm. All, all these things, yet we all go, we all participate, and therefore they're going to stay around as long as people are making money and buying art. And keeping going. And, and it is, Everything from uh, it can be great for your bottom line. It's a huge advertisement. It's it's a marketing budget. You mean new collectors? Yeah. 
do you curators f- all of that i just feel like there has to be the next yeah well i think the next is actually return to galleries that that will is a, a good kind of ending ending point for our conversation because i actually do think that people are returning to galleries interesting and it is because we are um because of relationships for, for relationships for human interaction and it really is up to the galleries and museums to provide the reason for going and experiencing the work in person. The artists are doing it. The artists still want that. You ask any artist, they don't want to just sell online. They no. want to show. Right. They want people to come and see the work in person. Right. And how that they, will not change. And how they feel the work should be installed. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, thanks for coming today. I Joanne, always love talking art with you. Thank you. Well, this, this was great. fun. <laughs> thank you. Keep up your work, too. I, I love your podcast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to Mary Lay for joining me on the podcast this week. If you're in Los Angeles, you should definitely check out the work she's doing at Tanya Bonnachdar Gallery on Highland Avenue in Hollywood. And for more information, visit Tanya bonakdargallery.com that's t-a-n-y-a b-o-n-a-k-d-a-r gallery.com